Chapter Thirty of A Hazard of New Fortunes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It was clear to Beaton that Dryfoos distrusted him, and the fact heightened his pleasure in Christine's liking for him. He was as sure of this as he was of the other, though he was not so sure of any reason for his pleasure in it. She had her charm, the charm of wildness to which a certain wildness in himself responded and there were times when his fancy contrived a common future for them which would have a prosperity forced from the old fellow's love of the girl beaton liked the idea of this compulsion better than he liked the idea of the money there was something a little repulsive in that he imagined himself rejecting it he almost wished he was enough in love with the girl to marry her without it that would be fine he was taken with her in a certain measure in a certain way the question was, in what measure, in what way? It was partly to escape from this question that he hurried downtown, and decided to spend with the Leightons the hour remaining on his hands before it was time to go to the reception for which he was dressed. It seemed to him important that he should see Alma Leighton. After all, it was her charm that was most abiding with him. Perhaps it was to be final." He found himself very happy in his present relations with her. She had dropped that barrier of pretenses and ironical surprise. It seemed to him that they had gone back to the old ground of common artistic interest, which he had found so pleasant the summer before. Apparently she and her mother had both forgiven his neglect of them in the first months of their stay in New York. He was sure that Mrs. Leighton liked him as well as ever, and— if there was still something a little provisional in Alma's manner at times, it was something that piqued more than it discouraged. It made him curious, not anxious. He found the young ladies with Fulkerson when he rang. He seemed to be amusing them both, and they were both amused beyond the merit of so small a pleasantry, Beaton thought, when Fulkerson said, "'Introduce myself, Mr. Beaton. Mr. Fulkerson, of every other week. Think I've met you at our place.' The girls laughed, and Alma explained that her mother was not very well, and would be sorry not to see them. Then she turned, as he felt perversely, and went on talking with Fulkerson, and left him to Miss Woodburn. She finally recognized the disappointment. "'I don't often get a chance at you, Mr. Beaton, and I'm just going to talk you to death. You have been south yourself, and you know how we do talk.' "'I've survived to say yes,' Beaton admitted. "'Oh, now, do you think we talk so much more than you do in the North?' the young lady deprecated. "'I don't know. I only know you can't talk too much for me. I should like to hear you say South and House and About for the rest of my life.' "'That's what I call right personal, Mr. Beaton. Now I'm going to be personal, too.' Miss Woodburn flung out over her lap the square of cloth she was embroidering, and asked him, "'Don't you think that's beautiful? Now, as an artist, a great artist?' "'As a great artist, yes,' said Beaton, mimicking her accent. "'If I were less than great, I might have something to say about the arrangement of colours. You're as bold and original as nature.' "'Really? Oh, now do tell me your favourite colour, Mr. Beaton.' "'My favourite colour? Bless my soul! Why should I prefer any? Is blue good, or red wicked? Do people have favourite colours?' Beaton found himself suddenly interested. 
of course they do said the girl don't artists i never heard of one that had consciously is it possible i suppose they all had now my favourite colour is garnet don't you think it's a pretty colour it depends upon how it's used do you mean in neckties beaton stole a glance at the one fulkerson was wearing miss woodburn laughed with her face bowed upon her wrist i do think you gentlemen in the north are ten times as lively as the ladies strange said beaton in the south south excuse me i made the observation that the ladies were ten times as lively as the gentlemen what is that you're working this miss woodburn gave it another flirt and looked at it with a glance of dawning recognition oh this is a table cover wouldn't you like to see where it's going to go why certainly well if you'll be right good i'll let you give me some professional advice about putting something in the corners or not when you have seen it on the table she rose and led the way into the other room beaton knew she wanted to talk with him about something else but he waited patiently to let her play her comedy out she spread the cover on the table and he advised her as he saw she wished against putting anything in the corners just run a line of her stitch around the edge he said mr fulkerson and i why we've been having a regular fight about it she commented but we both agreed finally to leave it to you mr fulkerson said you'd be sure to be right i'm so glad you took my side but he's a great admirer of yours mr beaton she concluded demurely suggestively is he well i'm a great admirer of fulkerson said beaton with a capricious willingness to humour her wish to talk about fulkerson he's a capital fellow generous magnanimous with quite an ideal of friendship and an eye single to the main chance all the time he would advertise every other week on his family vault miss woodburn laughed and said she should tell him what beaton had said do but he's used to defamation from me and he'll think you're joking i suppose said miss woodburn that he's quite the type of a new york business man she added as if it followed logically he's so different from what i thought a new york business man would be it's your virginia tradition to despise business said beaton rudely miss woodburn laughed again despise it my goodness we want to get into it and work it for all it's worth as mr fulkerson said that tradition is all past you don't know what the south is now i suppose my father despises business but he's a tradition himself as i tell him beaton would have enjoyed joining the young lady in anything she might be going to say in derogation of her father but he restrained himself and she went on more and more as if she wished to account for her father's habitual hauteur with beaton if not to excuse it i tell him he don't understand the rising generation he was brought up in the old school and he thinks we're all just like he was when he was young with all those ideals of chivalry and family but my goodness it's money that counts these days in the south just like it does everywhere else i suppose if we could have slavery back in the form my father thinks it could have been brought up to when the commercial spirit wouldn't let it alone it would be the best thing but we can't have it back and i tell him we had better have the commercial spirit as the next best thing miss woodburn went on with sufficient loyalty and piety 
to expose the difference of her own and her father's ideals, but with what Beaton thought less reference to his own unsympathetic attention than to acknowledge finally of the personnel and material of every other week and Mr. Fulkerson's relation to the enterprise. "'You must excuse my asking so many questions, Mr. Beaton. You know it's all my doing that we are here in New York. I just told my father that if he was ever going to do anything with his writings, he had got to come north and I made him come. I believe he'd have stayed in the South all his life. And now Mr. Fulkerson wants him to let his editor see some of his writings, and I wanted to know something about the magazine. We are a great deal excited about it in this house, you know, Mr. Beaton, she concluded with a look that now transferred the interest from Fulkerson to Alma. She led the way back to the room where they were sitting, and went up to triumph over Fulkerson with Beaton's decision about the table-cover. Alma was left with Beaton near the piano, and he began to talk about the Dryfooses as he sat down on the piano-stool. He said he had been giving Miss Dryfoos a lesson on the banjo. He had borrowed the banjo of Miss Vance. Then he struck the chord he had been trying to teach Christine, and played over the air he had sung. "'How do you like that?' he asked, whirling around. "'It seems rather a disrespectful little tune, somehow,' said Alma placidly. Beaton rested his elbow on the corner of the piano, and gazed dreamily at her. "'Your perceptions are wonderful. It is disrespectful. I played it up there because I felt disrespectful to them. Do you claim that as a merit?' "'No, I state it as a fact.' How can you respect such people? You might respect yourself, then, said the girl. Or perhaps that wouldn't be so easy, either. No, it wouldn't. I like to have you say these things to me, said Beaton impartially. Well, I like to say them, Alma returned. They do me good. Oh, I didn't know that that was my motive. There was no one like you, no one, said Beaton, as if apostrophizing her in her absence. To come from that house with its assertions of money, you can hear it chink, you can smell the foul old banknotes, it stifles you, into an atmosphere like this, is like coming into another world. Thank you, said Alma, I'm glad there isn't that unpleasant odour here, but I wish there were a little more of the chinking. No, no, don't say that, he implored. I like to think that there is one soul uncontaminated by the sense of money in this big, brutal, sordid city. You mean two, said Alma with modesty. But if you stifle at the Dryfooses, why do you go there? Why do I go, he mused. Don't you believe in knowing all the natures, the types you can? Those girls are a strange study. The young one is a simple earthly creature, as common as an oatfield, and the other sort of sylvan life, fierce, flashing, feline. Alma burst into a laugh. What apt alliteration! And do they like being studied? I should think the sylvan life might scratch. No, said Beaton, with melancholy absence, it only purrs. The girl felt a rising indignation. Well, then, Mr. Beaton, I should hope it would scratch, and bite, too. I think you've no business to go about studying people as you do. It's abominable. Go on, said the young man, that Puritan conscience of yours. 
it appeals to the old covenanter's strain within me like a voice of pre-existence go on oh if i went on i should merely say that it was not only abominable but contemptible you could be my guardian angel alma said the young man making his eyes more and more slumbrous and dreamy stuff i hope i have a soul above buttons he smiled as she rose and followed her across the room good night mr beaton she said miss woodburn and fulkerson came in from the other room what you're not going beaton yes i'm going to a reception i stopped in on my way to kill time alma explained well said fulkerson gallantly this is the last place i should like to do it but i guess i'd better be going too it has sometimes occurred to me that there is such a thing as staying too late but with brother beaton here just starting in for an evening's amusement it does seem a little early yet can't you urge me to stay somebody the two girls laughed and miss woodburn said mr beaton is such a butterfly of fashion i wish i was on my way to a party i feel quite envious but he didn't say it to make you alma explained with meek softness well we can't all be swells where is your party anyway beaton asked fulkerson how do you manage to get your invitations to those things i suppose a fellow has to keep hinting round pretty lively eh beaton took these mockeries serenely and shook hands with miss woodburn with the effect of having already shaken hands with alma she stood with hers clasped behind her End of chapter 30